Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 63, will you please? Psalm 63. Pastor John read for us the first five verses of this psalm. I'd like to reread those verses and then complete the psalm down through verse 11. You follow along in your copy of the Scriptures, please. A psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God earnestly. I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because of your steadfast love, it's better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings for you. My hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall come down in the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king, the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word, which is truth for our lives. And I just ask this morning, as we look into your word, that it would be a quick and sharp and powerful two-edged sword. And Father, that it would work in our hearts to draw us close to you and to help us understand something about the, the wonder of who you are. And, and may that change our lives. Father, we're not here to be comfortable. We're here to be challenged and changed and conformed to the character of Christ. We are here to lift you up. We are here to acknowledge your place in our lives. We are here to glorify you. And I pray that that would take place for your honor and your glory. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So what do you look for in a healthy church? The first thing you look for is biblical preaching. Because we understand that everything from our lives is to come from the Word of God. The Word of God that is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God that is God-breathed and profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness. The Word of God that the Spirit uses to work in our hearts and conform us to the character of Christ. It begins with biblical preaching. But as we look at biblical preaching and understand what God has for us, we recognize that biblical worship is an outflow of our lives. Amen? We are here to glorify God. We are here to worship God. We are here to exalt God. We are here to give Him the praise that He so deserves. Amen? Amen! 
why we are here today. That's why our lives are to be given over to Him 24-7, 365. This is more than just a Sunday go-to-meeting kind of thing. We are here to worship our God. But we're also here to understand, whoops, that's the wrong one. That we are to be His disciples. Is that not what He asks us to be? I mean, that was His great commission, right? Go into all the world and make disciples. Understanding that from our lives, we are to be followers of Christ. That's what a disciple is. We have a mission statement here at Calvary. And that mission statement is to multiply Christ-like disciples who are passionate about their God, obedient to His Word, dependent on God through prayer, connected to one another and authentic and relevant. Why? So that we can multiply Christ-like disciples. Biblical discipleship flows from the wonder of biblical preaching and our biblical worship. The psalmist here in Psalm 63 tells us a little bit about what it means to be passionate about our God. Now, we could have gone to Matthew chapter 22 where it says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Amen? That might have fit under obedient. We could also have gone to 1 Corinthians 10 that says, Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of our God. Amen? But I chose to go to Psalm 63 here because this is real life stuff. David wrote some 73 different psalms. And as you read those psalms, they dissect his life. I love David because he's real. Now, David was not perfect. And I think it's important for us to understand a little bit of his history so that we can identify where he is here in Psalm 63. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, God set Samuel to choose a new king. Saul was king at that point. And the criteria that God gave to Samuel was, I'm looking for somebody who's after my own heart. And you remember that Samuel was directed to Jesse, who had a whole bunch of sons, right? And Samuel says, God has chosen one of your sons, one of your boys. Let's see who it is. Boy, that had to have been exciting for Jesse. Friday evening, Connie and I went to the east side of the state and saw a soccer game. And my grandson scored his first soccer goal of his career. And I just sat there. <laughs> that was so exciting. JC scored a goal. Now, if you know JC, that's um, not a given in his athletic career. And can you imagine Jesse standing there with the Samuel said, one of your boys, I'm looking for somebody a heart after God, and what's one of your boys? 
And so he parades the boys by. And it's not the first one, it's not the second one, it's not the third one. They run out of boys. So Samuel says, Jesse, you got anybody else? Oh yeah, there's this little boy by the name of David. He, he, he's, out ten, he's out tending the sheep. He had much of anything. Bring him in. And the scripture says that God chose David. Why? Because he had a heart for God. Now can I just stop right there? It's not what we look like or what we intend to be. It's what our hearts reflect that makes the difference in our lives. Say, well, I'm a nobody. That's okay. You got a heart for God? That makes you somebody. And that is the key to our relationship with God. And it's also, can I let you in on a secret? The key to passion for God. Now David went about his business. And after David is anointed for God, he faces a guy by the name of Goliath. You all know about that. Saul brings David in after he's fought this great battle into his own household. He marries Saul's daughter. Saul tries to kill him. Jonathan saves his life. And David goes on about his business. And finally Saul dies. And David is made the king. First of all, he was anointed king of Judah, and then he was anointed king of Israel, and David reigned for 30 years in Judah, another 10 years in Israel, a reign for 40 years. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, Israel's at war. David should have been out at war. And he just happened to be on the rooftop of his house. Now, you can imagine that the king's house was the highest house in the city. And David, from the rooftop of his house, could look down and see the whole city. And he spies a young lady taking a bath. Her name was Bathsheba. He brings Bathsheba in, has an illicit relationship with her, ends up killing her husband, Uriah. David was a man after his own heart. God's own heart. You ever get upset when you mess up? It's not okay, but our God is the God of second chances. Amen? And it was through David, through his lineage, that God would send his son who was going to be the savior of the world. So if you've messed up, God's willing to give you a second chance. He did with, with David. David struggled with his family. You remember Absalom tried to take over the kingdom. Life's not easy. And yet we can have a, a heart for God. Now that brings us to Psalm 63. The preface to Psalm 63 
is not marked by verse 1, but it's important. And it was part of the original Psalms. And the preface to Psalm 63 says this, A Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Now there were two times when David was in the wilderness of Judah. Once was when Absalom was taking over the kingdom and he feared for his life. The other time was when Saul sought to slay him. And he took up residence in a cave in the wilderness of Judah. I I believe that's when this psalm was written. So David finds himself in the wilderness being sought by Saul. Now, I'll say this a little bit later to remind you, but Saul has 3,000 choice men with him. David has 400 misfits. Doesn't sound like very good odds to me. And it is at this time in David's life that he pens these words that are so important. You see, passion matters. And here's the take-home truth, the big picture. No matter where we find ourselves, we must develop a passion for God. You're living in a cave, figuratively speaking. To get out of that cave, develop a passion for God. You're struggling in your spiritual life. To get past that struggle, develop a passion for God. Maybe things at home are tough. You want to work through them? Work on your passion for God. That's what David did when he found himself fleeing his enemy. Mortal enemy. He pens these So how do you develop that passion for God? Let's look at these truths in the psalm. In order to get a passion for God, we must pursue God. Notice how David opens this psalm. He says, Oh God, you are my God. Now think about that a minute, will you please? The word for God is Elohim has the idea of one who is superior, one who has the authority, but one who has an intimate relationship with us. David says, oh God, you're my God. Isn't it great to know that God is our God? Isn't that wonderful? Can you say this morning, God, you're my God because I have a personal relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? Let me tell you, if you're pursuing anything else but the God of gods, the authority, the supreme one of the universe, you're headed the wrong direction. And David says, oh God, you are my God. When you get to those desert places, when you're struggling in your life, Pursue the wonder of God. And how does he do that? Earnestly I will seek you, the text says. If you have a King James Version, it says, early will will I seek you. What are you willing to get up early for? 
church, somebody said. <laughs> uh, church doesn't start till 9.30 with ABF. That ain't early, folks. What are you willing to get up early for? We'll get up early for emergencies, won't we? Todd Heck fell about midnight. Jerry and Betty were just going to bed. They got up. We'll get up for entertainment. I mean, how many of us hunters enter the woods before daylight? Huh? We'll do that, right? We'll get up if we're excited. I got up early this morning. I was at the church before 6 this morning or right about 6 this morning. I was excited about what God was going to do today. I mean, we'll get up early for that, right? Will we get up early for Elohim? For God? I will long remember... I'm trying to take out of my vocabulary. I'll never forget because I just might. I will long remember our deacon's retreat of 2011. It's my first here in Battle Creek. We were out at Camp Tamarack. And as we were finishing the evening session, I said to the men, I said, you know, Let's get started tomorrow morning about 8.30. That'll give all of you an opportunity to do your devotions and do your devotions and then come and you can share some of those things. Well, I was talking to some guys who'd never done devotions. I know that. I was naive. And one of our guys, and this is his testimony, and he gives it many times in our CBC 101 class, thought, he's going to ask me for something in the morning. I better get something. November 2011. He has hardly missed since then. He used to get up, and the first thing he did was turn on ESPN Sports Center. Now, this guy gets up in the morning. He sleeps in on Sundays. And he determined that spending time with God was more important than ESPN Sports Center. Now you say, well, amen, that's not important to me anyway. But it is to Dave Eubank. Right, Dave? If we are going to pursue the wonder of God, we got to be willing to get up in the morning and do it. And the psalmist says, early, earnestly, I will seek you. Why? Back to the text. It's important for my soul. My soul faints for you, thirsts for you. My flesh is like a dry and thirsty ground without you. What would you be without God? Where would you be without God? How could you live without God? You know, a lot of us try to. I believe someone sent me this article. It's an article by John Piper. 
It's dated June 24, 2018. And the title of the article is, Come Desperate to Church. It's an article that really is focusing on pastors to encourage their people to worship with a deep hunger for God. Let me share a little bit with you. It is beautifully fitting that Christians gather for corporate worship every week. When we do, we give united expression to our truth-rooted knowledge of the triune God and our treasure-rooted affections for all God is for us in Jesus. And when we have completed our corporate exaltation of the glories of God, we continue to worship in a thousand daily tasks where the supreme worth of Christ governs our lives. That is what it means to be a Christian. Hmm. But it's not as though Christians experience steady state faithfulness that is ready every Lord's Day to bring over in joyful praise as we gather for worship. God is glorified in worship, not only by those who come full, but also by those who come desperately needing and pining all their hopes and pinning all of their hopes on meeting God. The same heart of worship that says thank you and praise you when full also says I need you. I long for you. I thirst for you when empty. It is the same savoring, the same treasuring, the same heart of worship that says thank you and praise you always says, I need you. Pursue the wonder of God. Total dependence on God's grace does not mean dependence on God's means of grace. If God wills that our dependence on Him sometimes be direct and unmediated and sometimes be indirect and mediated, then we are no less totally dependent on God in other case. Our physical lives depend on God and on food that He gives. Our emotional resources for patient depend on the Spirit and on the refreshing sleep that he gives our spiritual strength depends on god's word and the ministers whom he sends us passionate for god pursue the wonder of god say how do i do that well it starts with our goals what do you want to do what's your next spiritual step we talk about that all the time it then moves to our schedules. When are we going to do what we believe God wants us to do? Then it's about our passion. How bad do you want to do it? How much more important is it than ESPN? And you can fill in that blank where I put ESPN. And then it's our discipline doing it. Pursue the wonder of God. So writes the psalmist, verse 2, I have looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and glory. Anybody want to see the power and glory of God? Hmm? 
You want to see God work? Pursue His wonder. Pursue who He is. Not only do we pursue the wonder of God, but we need to affirm God's love as we receive affection from God. Verse 3, because your steadfast love, King James loving kindness, is better than life. You know, life's pretty good. God's better. Life is dear. God should be dearer. Life is good. Here's my English. God is gooder. Because of your steadfast love, it's better than life. My lips will praise you. I will bless you. I will lift up my hands and, and to your name. Amen. Now, there's a little chorus that reflects these verses. Hugh Mitchell wrote it. Can, can we sing it this morning? Thy loving kindness is better than life. Thy loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise Thee. Thus will I bless Thee. I will lift up my hands unto Your name. Second stanza. I lift my hands, Lord, unto Your name. I lift my hands, Lord, unto Your name. My lips shall praise Thee. Thus will I bless Thee. I will lift up my hands unto your name. Amen? See, you've just memorized some scripture. Psalm 63, verses 3 and 4. And isn't it nice to know that God loves you? Every once in a while, Connie will say, well, what can I do for you? And I'll say, just love me. Uh, by the way, that ain't easy. Isn't it nice to know that God loves us in spite of us? Isn't it great to know that nothing will ever separate us from the love of God? Because that love was given to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Isn't it wonderful to know that God demonstrated His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us? Think about God's love in your life. Affirm it. Acknowledge it. Know the affection that God gives to us every day. Nothing better than being loved. Nothing better than being loved by God. May I remind you, David was in the wilderness. And he discovered God's loving kindness was better than life. He was refreshed by the wonder of God. We need to quickly move on. Satisfaction is discovered in God. Verse 5. 
My soul will be satisfied with fat and rich food. (laughs) And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Now the psalmist here is probably in a cave. There are no convenience stores. There is no Red Lobster or Texas Roadhouse or Finley's or... You know how much nourishment you find in a cave? Not much. And yet he says, my soul is satisfied just like I had the greatest buffet in front of me. My soul is satisfied because of your work in me. My soul is satisfied despite all the external stuff that's going on in my life. My soul is satisfied because I discover the wonder of God. When I go visit someone in the hospital, many times I ask them, what can I do for you? I get a variety of answers. Usually people say, well, you can, you can pray for me. That's good because I can do that. I visited one of our folks in the hospital, and when I asked that question, they said, well, you get me a prime rib. Now, I'm not sure if that was a reflection of hospital food or the fact that he'd been so sick he hadn't been able to eat for a couple of days. (laughs) So I said to him, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll go out and find prime rib, and I'll have it for you. That's the kind of pastor I am. Anything I can do to serve. <laughs> David recognized the nourishment of God working in his life. Now, physically, he was probably pretty empty. There wasn't much there. But his soul, his inner being, understood the satisfaction that God could give. And until you've experienced, you got no clue about it. But it's rich. It's delightful. It's nourishing. And how do you respond to that? I'll praise you, Lord, for what you've done. Paul said it this way, I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I took that as a personal verse when I moved to Michigan from Ohio. I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. So when all of you Michigan people drive through Ohio, remember that verse, will you? But he goes on to say, I've learned... To be content and want. I've learned to be content when I have a lot. I've learned to be... It's, it's a learning process. And we're blessed, are we not? Most of us have learned to be content with abundance. 
but my soul satisfied. And I'll praise you with my lips, and I will say, God is good. And all the time, I'm satisfied with what I discover in God. And I know that I can be safe in the shadow of His wings. Did you see that in the text as we read it? Verse 6, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of night, for you have been my help and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. You ever been scared by a shadow? I have. You know when shadows come, they come when things are getting dark in my life. When things aren't real clear in my life. When I'm trying to sleep in my life. And I can imagine David staying up at night trying to figure out how God was going to take care of him. Figuring out how God was going to work all this out. I told you earlier that Saul had 3,000 choice troops. And David had 400 misfits. People like me. How do you go against an army of 3,000 when you got 400? Well, that'd keep you up at night. But David said, in the shadow of your wings, I will find comfort and joy. You see, David knew that no matter what his circumstances were, God had it. In the military, we might say, God's got your six. God's got your back. God's in control. Is there anything in your life or in my life that surprises God? It may surprise us, but it doesn't surprise God. Is there anything in your life or my life that causes God to wring his hands and say, boy, oh boy, what am I going to do? You see, as we get passionate, we start to understand that God's shadow can be trusted. And as he pulls us together under his protection, he's got it covered. Amen? Now that ought to be something to excite us. And that's all about our God. Very quickly, because of that, God insulates us from our enemies. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me, but those who seek to destroy my life shall go down the depths of the earth. <laughs> so shall they be given over the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. Any of you ever watch Lion King? You ever see where the jackals lived? It wasn't pretty. Now, I'm not endorsing Lion King. But what I'm saying is the enemies of God are going to end up in a pretty desolate place.
And you and I are protected from that. Aren't you thankful that our offensive weapon is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God? And all that comes from biblical understanding. If you know the account in Scripture, you will be reminded that when David was in this cave, remember Saul 3,000, David 400? Saul comes into the cave. Remember that? He comes into the cave to relieve himself. Picture that. And David's men said, David, God has given your enemy into your hand. And David said, no, I'm not going to take out my frustration on God's anointed. And so he goes up and he just slices a little bit of material off of Saul's robe. Saul leaves the cave, goes down. David said, look what I got. One evening, David's men snuck into Saul's camp. They got away with it. And they took with them back to David Saul's spear and his water jug. Pretty good trophies, huh? And David stands on the hill and says, Saul, I don't know why you're after me. You could have been killed last night. Look what I have. Look what I have. God's protecting me, and there's nothing you can do to hurt me. Aren't you thankful for that? Nothing will ever separate you. Nothing will ever separate me from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's only about God. Verse 11. But the king shall rejoice in God. Now, who is the king in this passage of Scripture? David, right? But you and I are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We're part of the family. And we could very easily identify with David here because God has lifted us up into a position of importance with his son Jesus Christ. And the king will rejoice in God. You and I, as children of God, heirs of Jesus Christ, can rejoice in God. Only God. Because we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Wow. Well, you'll note that we've run out of verses. And you'll note that there's one more letter on the screen. So let me give it to you. Now what? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What am I going to do? As we have discovered David's passion for God.
How passionate are we? <laughs> How desperate are we? How valuable is God's work in our lives? What's your next spiritual step? Do you have any spiritual goals? If not, get one, get two. When are you going to accomplish those goals? How bad do you want to accomplish those goals? And how are you going to do it? You see, passion matters. It's more than just a moniker on a mission statement. It matters. It mattered to the psalmist who found himself in a cave. And it matters to you and it matters to me. Because the truth is, no matter, no matter where we find ourselves, we must, we must develop a passion for our God. If we're going to be Christ-like disciples. If we're not, okay. But biblical discipleship begins with developing that passion for God.